0: Hey, guys, this is Pastor Zach, and you are listening to Sermon Notes here at HPC. Turn with me to numbers. We're going to be in 25. Let me give you two minutes of context because it's important. Uh, Honestly, I could probably do like a nine-part sermon series on just the context here. Israel is on the tail end of the wilderness thing, okay, 40 years and they're on what theologians and historians call uh they're they're on the tail end of the third sin cycle in the wilderness because Israel they not they weren't waiting for judges to do their whole like rebellion repentance thing um they they started that as soon as they were set free sound familiar anybody yeah okay uh so There were, I'm not going to get into every time, but you know, there was the golden calf, and there's, you know, the the serpents, and there was the ground opening up, and there was murmuring and rebellion. There were different things uh, where we see these cycles happening, and this is the third and final one of those cycles, and at the end of that cycle. And if you also know the background, then you know that Israel is... In an interesting place where they are literally biding time, waiting for a generation to die off who was not permitted to, to come into the promised land. So they were in the wilderness, but they were still um, holding fast to, or somewhat, holding fast to the promises that God had before them while they weren't quite there yet. And honestly, I believe that in many ways, as much as we want to believe that we're in the already but the not yet, as much as we say we're walking in the promises, how many of you know that there is a greater glory before us? How many of you are looking forward to when Jesus comes back and takes his bride home? Anybody in here? A couple of people still believe in the rapture? Okay. So, no, it's good. I know it's not popular these days, but there's a lot of things that aren't popular. I'm not popular. But I'm still talking. So, here we go. Listen, listen. This is the important thing that's happening. They're waiting for this generation to die off and there's another generation growing up and they, they have watched and learned this thing. They've seen it play out. So the spies went into the promised land. They came back, the 12 spies, and only two out of 10 were affirming in the confidence of what the Lord had given them. 10 out of those 12 were not. And so the Lord uh, took that personally and said, you don't believe me? You don't think that I'm bigger than those giants? I know that you're not. Okay, let's do another lap around the wilderness, let everybody die off, and let the next generation grow up. So that generation that were kids that watched their parents miss out on the greatest thing that God had, okay, for them at that time, they're coming full circle now, and they're approaching the threshold of the promised land. They're, they're We're just like, just a few stories away from the river, the Jordan, and the crossing, and, and divvying up the land and the whole nine. So, right here in this place, you would think if you were this next generation, having seen what they saw, having known what they know, you would think that you'd be on really good behavior because it was right around here where the last generation really messed up, lost faith. And lost their opportunity to walk in the promises God had for them. And so in this in, in the couple of chapters just leading up to 25, there's a really cool story. I preached on it years ago on Balaam and Balak. And Balak was a, a king of Moab and or uh, Midian. And what would happen is these pagan kings, there were rumors and reputations of the people of God coming through the wilderness. And they didn't want them there. They, they were kind of like... They would engage in battle. It was rough. It was a rough neighborhood, this wilderness wandering, okay? It was like anybody you ran into, they'd pull a blade on you, you know, it was that kind of thing. And so as these people are coming through, um, the way that they would be opposed was different. And King Balak, he takes up sort of a love offering from the leaders in the area and pays a warlock to go up to a cliff and curse the people of God who were encamped in the valley below. Now, If you know this story or you were here when we preached this message, then you know how that turned out. It wasn't well. It didn't turn out well. But it was an incredible picture of how even the world sees the hand of God on his people. How even the world, uh, when they don't want to be aware of it, even when they're in denial of it, there's no getting around the fact that God is doing something in us. And so Balak uh, hires Balaam to go up. And Balaam, who is a a lord of the dark arts, um, tapped into all sorts of spiritual nonsense, is also tapped into the Lord. And he says to Balak, hey, here's the deal. I can only curse these people if God's cursing them. And I can only bless them if God's blessing them. Basically what I do, you're just paying me to come in, you know, to tell you what God's already saying. And so he goes up and he does his abracadabra, alakamazoo and wait a minute, a curse didn't come out. What actually came out was this monologue of how great and awesome and mighty our God is. I love this because it's how it works. And the enemy is defeated like mid process. Well, Balak is livid. And so he, you know, he pulls Balaam down by the ear and says, What do you think you're doing? We paid you to do a job. You better get up there and do it. So he takes him to that place again, and, and, and Balaam tries to engage again in casting this spell and speaking this curse and he ends up prophesying the God-given destiny over Israel. This is nuts. You can't make this stuff up. Now there's a whole part where his donkey turns around and talks to him. I love that part, but our legal team said I can't preach on that anymore because it turned out to be a liability. But anyway, I have a few more years before that expires. Hoping that I grow up when I hit 40. The deal is this. The deal is this, Balak's mad again. He says, we're going to do this again. Balaam Balaam goes back up and now his first attempt, all that came out was talking about how awesome God is. His second attempt was just talking about how awesome the destiny of God's people are. And his third time and final time, and I think Balak said, okay, let's call it after this. His third time he goes up and he starts talking about how terrible the fate is going to be of any nation that opposes Israel. So this was like a a zero for three. This is like, it was just this incredible story of how the plans and purposes of God are unavoidable. It's incredible. And yet, chapter 25. So as that's happening, Balaam and his prophetic failings, he he can't get it wrong. He can only speak the truth of God. What's happening down below is this. While Israel remained at Shittim, the people began to play the harlot with the daughters of Moab, for they invited the people to the sacrifices of their gods, and the people ate and bowed down to their gods. So Israel joined themselves to Baal of Peor, and the Lord was angry against Israel. The Lord said to Moses, Take all the leaders of the people and execute them in broad daylight. Before the Lord, so that the fierce anger of the Lord may turn away from Israel. So Moses said to the judges of Israel, Each of you slay his men who have joined themselves to Baal of Peor. Wow. Well, that just got dark. You're not expecting that. Why? Because we have this tendency to want to get the extra mile out of every win. Right? Right? You, you who still have a shrine set up to your high school football team in your basement, in your man cave, you know what this is. You know what it is. You, you want to still show everybody like all the clubs you were in in yearbook, in your high school yearbook, and it was like 30 years ago. We want to get the extra mile out of the victories, out of the wins. And you and I would call what happened with Balaam and Balak a huge win for the people of God. Did you hear that? Not even the world can prophesy against them. Did you hear that? That's who we are. We cling. We sing these songs, prophesy your promise, Mm, because it makes us feel so good. And yet somehow, while the satanic assignment against them spiritually was falling, fruitless, futile, it was the flesh of the people that was seduced by the ways of the world. See, we spend a lot of time, you know, chasing demons and 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 you know, casting stuff out and breaking stuff off and all of that stuff is real. All of it's real. And all of it's powerless because of who God is. As soon as we deny it the power that we often give it. The problem in this case and in many of our cases today, in much of especially the American church today, the problem is not Even what's happening in the spiritual assignment realm, so much of the problem is what's happening in the natural. Our flesh, our undisciplined, uncontrolled, unrestrained flesh, seduced by the things of this world. Seduced. We want what they want. We want what they have, and they're offering it to us. And while, and while We we jump up and down and say, not even the world could do this. Not even the enemy could do this because of who we are in God. The enemy's sitting back chuckling because of who we are in our flesh. See, the context is that Balaam was given a glimpse of God's plan for his people. But saints, those plans coming to pass in that season with that generation were contingent on God being their God. The Lord being their God. And here's the truth about the wilderness that we're kind of in, in this halfway place between here and heaven. We've been set free. We've been brought out of bondage and out of Egypt and out of exile. But in this place while those prophetic things are being spoken over us and while it's undeniable what God's plans and purposes are for us, I want you to know this morning that you experiencing the abundance and the life of those promises is 100% contingent on the Lord being your God. If you're writing things down, you can tattoo this one on your chest. Prophetic promises over our life are not immune to our willfulness and sin. Prophetic promises over our life are not immune to our willfulness and sin. You see, God's people would count it a victory that Balaam saw God's promise and prophesied accordingly. God's people would count it a victory. But God counts it a victory when his people live that promise and manifest that prophecy. When we're walking in it, we said, I think I shared this a couple of weeks ago, but there was an incredible man of God by the name of Graham Jones who came and um, shared with our staff um, a couple of weeks ago. And the man had phenomenally insightful and supernatural words over every single one of us. But even he opened the whole morning with a message. And part of that message was to say, hey, Prophetic words are not given to us so that we have something to tape on our refrigerator door. They're not given to us so that we can plaster our mirror with post-it notes in the morning and feel better about ourselves. Prophetic words are given to us so that we're reminded to walk in the commands and the statutes in the ways the Lord has long since already called us to walk in. These are just encouraging reminders of what's on the other side of us walking and living out lives of obedience. Restraint, self-control, denial, sacrifice. The things that he called us to. We want our cake and eat it too. And the problem with that is we end up seduced by the world's cake. Israel's infidelity directly impacted her immortality. And you see it in the story. A plague is sent. 24,000 people are dying, dropping dead left and right, why? Because the Lord's looking down and saying, we tried this with the last generation, we may need another go around. And here's what happened. Then behold, one of the sons of Israel came and brought to his relatives, a Midianite woman in the sight of Moses and in the sight of all the congregation of the sons of Israel, while they were weeping at the doorway of the tent of meeting let's just stop here and understand the setting people are dying left and right partially because of the plague brought on by sin but partially because now Aaron and the judges of Israel are going around and literally slaughtering the people who have joined themselves to Baal. they're purifying the camp and it's a bloodbath it's a it's a massacre and in the middle of all the weeping and the gnashing of teeth and, and the crying out and the repentance and everything else that's going on because of the tragedy and loss, in walks a guy. His name is Zimri with a Midianite woman named Cosby. He brings her to his family to introduce them to this new you know, shiny thing that he found and then proceeds to go in the tent to fornicate with her and I'm reading this and I'm thinking, how in the world can you miss this? And the Lord saying back to me, how in the world can you miss this? How can the people of God living in a time, in a season when the fallout, the aftermath, the consequences of sin are so prevalent and unavoidable? How far down in the sand can we stick our heads? Zimri's demise is coming. Here it comes. Verse 7 When Phinehas, the son of Eleazar, the son of Aaron, the priest, saw it, he arose from the midst of the congregation. And took a spear in his hand, and he went after the man of Israel into the tent, and pierced both of them through the man of Israel and the woman through the body. So the plague on the sons of Israel was checked. Those who died by the plague were 24,000. Zimri's demise was his sin, but his sin, saints, his sin was not even the fornication. It was ignorance. His sin was ignorance. His sin was a decided, willful insensitivity to what was happening in the people of God around him. Even though there's death and destruction and chaos and confusion and and sorrow and tragedy and loss, in a whirlwind all around me, I am completely blind to it. Completely numb to it in order to satisfy my flesh. Look at your neighbor and say, read the room. Read the room. It's so easy to numb ourselves to sin. Zimri, saints, like many of us, we joyfully will bring our sin right in and among a people who are mourning the death and tragedy that this very sin had caused. What does that look like, Zach? What are you talking about? Can you give us some application? Okay, why, why are all of our statistics among the people of God, why are they like not that far off the world? You see, we, we love to talk about the prophetic truth. We love to say, you know, Satan has no hold on me and sing songs about how every curse is broken and all the chains are broken and all the prisoners set free and bop, 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 We love that. We love that. And you know what? It's 100% true. But why aren't our lives changed because of it? Why haven't we been transformed yet? Why is there still a nation full of people identifying as Christians but who are struggling and suffering and in bondage to all the same stuff the world is? Why is the divorce rate in the church the same as the world? Why are suicide and and depression and anxiety and, and, and addiction and destroyed homes and and all the crazy bad stuff that we would love to say just happens out there? Well, the truth is it's in the church compromise, sexual chaos and confusion, identity, total, total breakdown of identity in the church, in the pulpits. And so we, we've decided since we can't beat them, join them. If we welcome that in, then that means that we can get away with whatever our flesh wants too. And here's the truth. It's not working out. Read the room. Read the stinking room. We think that, oh, this is going to fix it. If I can just get out of this marriage, if I can just break this off, if I can just start over, if I can just this, that, the other, if I can just keep myself medicated long enough to you know, get through this season and the next and the one after that and miss my kid's entire childhood and living life like a zombie, this is not what he called us to all the while singing with Balaam the truths about God's people. Why are we another generation wandering another lap in the wilderness? Having to die out without really seeing what God wants for us? Because we need to read the room. Hosea 4, 6. It's one we take out of context all the time. And in this one, it's, it's probably okay too. My people are destroyed for lack of knowledge. My people are destroyed for lack of knowledge. Zimri was destroyed for lack of knowledge. Not knowledge like like textbook knowledge, not knowledge like he skipped a class or a test he should have been in. Knowledge that I can maybe render for you today as understanding or sensitivity. My people are destroyed for lack of sensitivity because what they needed to know, they would have known if they would have remained sensitive to me. Read the room. Read the room. See, we'll, we'll do things like, and I think back when Roe v. Wade was overturned, I remember, you know, all of us right-wing conservative people and I say us because I'm included, I just don't have a social media account, so how would anybody know? Um, but back when all of that stuff was happening, the church is like, yeah, we won, Ba. pro-life. And I'm thinking to myself, that's not our victory. That's not our victory. I don't care how you voted or how you picketed, that's not your victory. Your victory is when no one else wants an abortion. That's the victory that the church was called to. That's walking out the prophetic promise, not just clinging to something that we hope we're gonna let, let the United States government, we're gonna let the local state, we're gonna let the, the White House or the whoever, the legislative branch, like enforce for us the things of the word of God. No, that, that's not our victory. I'm grateful, I love it, but our victory happens when we operate according to the commands and the statutes, the things laid out for us, The things that will actually reflect those promises in real time to the world. Instead of them looking at us and saying, I don't really see any difference. The only difference is they have to fake who they are and we don't. Dang. Y'all hate this message, but I'm telling you. I know, I I was telling the first service, I'm like, everybody, you know. This is what happens. Like, you come in here and you get spanked and everybody's queuing up their Joel Olstein podcast for when they leave. (laughs) Listen, that's fine. That's fine. We tag team, Joel and I. It's like, you know, I'll be the bad guy. You know what I'm saying? I'll be the bad guy. (laughs) Horton just heard a who. And verse 10 says, then the Lord spoke to Moses saying, Phineas, the son of Eleazar, the son of Aaron, the priest has turned away my wrath from the sons of Israel and that he was jealous with my jealousy. Interesting. He was jealous with my jealousy among them. So I did not destroy the sons of Israel in my jealousy. Therefore say, behold, I give him my covenant of peace. Interesting and it shall be for him and his descendants after him a covenant of perpetual priesthood because he was jealous for his God and made atonement for the sons of Israel. If you were waiting for the uplifting point of this message, it just dropped. I love it. I love it. This is what got God's attention. This is, first of all, this is a couple of things. This is a reminder that the Old Testament is rated R, okay? But I want us to appreciate the eyes of the Father watching this play out. What got God's attention was the fact that he sees a young man rise up jealous with his jealousy. And because that young man acted out on behalf of the defense of the exclusivity of the intimacy of God and his people. God invites him into a covenant. Number one, the plague was checked. It stops dead in its tracks. Nobody else has to die. This guy, this guy just stepped out and stepped up. He was jealous with my jealousy so I didn't have to destroy everybody. Listen, I know that the word says, God is not a man that he should lie. (laughs) In fact, I think that was even the world acknowledging that in the word. In fact, that might've even been Balaam. But the deal is this, God is not a man that he should lie, but he has the same feelings. We were created with emotion because he's a God of emotion, And you don't have to read very far to understand that both our heavenly father as creator and the Holy Spirit as as the active agent of the Trinity and Jesus himself walked through these emotions. But in that, isn't it interesting that as part of this crazy mass destruction that's taking place, what stops God in his tracks is someone who's jealous with his jealousy. You know that word, is sometimes, not super often, but occasionally translated as zeal. And you can take the word jealous and insert zealous because it's the same, comes from the same Hebrew root. Because he was zealous with my zealousness. Because he was passionate about what I'm passionate about. I don't have to kill everybody interesting isn't it did you ever play good cop bad cop with your spouse with the kids you ever have to do that anybody mark are you the good cop or the bad cop just different you're always the bad cop my guy let's have a time of prayer for mark you know how it goes you know how it goes You don't wanna be the punisher, but neither does your spouse. And so you kinda like, it's like heads or tails. You be the bad guy, I'm the good guy. Well, I always jump in quick and insert myself as the good guy. And so then, not only does Ashley have to be the bad guy to the kids, but then she has to be the bad guy to me after we're done correcting the kids and spanking bottoms and taking names. We go back to our room, shut the door, and she's like, why do I always have to be the bad guy? Like nobody looks hotter than you being bad. <laughs> now where'd those handcuffs go? Yes. You know the funny thing about the good cop bad cop thing is that I think God, I think God wants to play good cop sometimes. I think God wants to play good cop sometimes, and I think He's waiting for some of us to rise up in that Phineas spirit and to get jealous with his jealousy so he doesn't have to act on it. Because we get to it first. What if we carried that kind of heart for the father? What if we were that passionate about protecting the relationship that he has with his people, that we got to it first? What if if we weren't afraid of of making a scene? What if we weren't afraid of calling out sin when we see it? What if we weren't afraid of of really eradicating and destining for destruction that which seeks to destroy his people? I wonder. I wonder if the church would look different. I wonder if the body of Christ would take on a different air. Sometimes God wants to be the good cop, but it requires us seeking his response and then reflecting it before he has to. Zach, are you saying that God curses people and destroys them today? No, I'm saying we destroy ourselves. This is the new covenant that we live in. We're all free because of the blood of Jesus. We're all free because of the cross. And, and, and no one will stand at this pulpit and tell you that Satan can pluck you from the hand of God because the word says he can't but it doesn't mean that us on a daily basis aren't jumping out of that hand, free falling, because we want the rush, and then just praying that he catches us before we hit the ground. I wish that didn't describe so much of where we're at, but as a church that carries a heart for this region, not just our leadership, but the ministries and the ministers and the worshipers and the intercessors and the Tuesday night crowd that 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 pours it out at this altar every week we are believing for god to do something awesome in new england but saints it's not enough just to cling to the prophetic promises anymore it's not enough just to stand and shout at the top of our lungs our god is good and our and our eternity is secure and ba 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 rapid fire machine gun drive by prophecies Even Balaam could do that. We need a Phineas. We need a Phineas spirit. A fearlessness to rise up in the bride. We need men and women of God who would rather shish kebab sin than wink at it and pretend it doesn't exist. And as we close, I just, I want you to get the reward. Because this is, this is the best part. This is the cherry on top. God sees it and he's stirred by it. He's moved by it. Forget the plague. It was his anger. It was his hurt. He was hurt. Our father was hurt. That his people would turn their back on him. That they'd rather, that they would rather satisfy some, temporary rush, urge, some sexual or sinful desire to be a part of whatever's going on out there than to be with him. That's what was checked that day. And how does he respond? He says, you go tell Phineas that because of his zeal, because of his confidence to protect what matters to me I make my covenant of peace with him and not just him but his sons and his grandsons and his great-grandsons and forever after that will be a perpetual priesthood would you stand with me you see the Lord's weapon against generational iniquity is generational intercession He says, there's a man. There's a man that's not afraid to do the dirty work. There's somebody that's not afraid to call sin what it is and to eradicate it from the camp, to do whatever it takes to obliterate it from the house of the people of God. I remember I told our staff a number of years ago, there was one of those big epic on the news kind of things where infidelity in a, in a church leadership, some celebrity situation with a big church that was renowned, I don't remember which one. Isn't that sad? Too many, too many. And just barely holding it together, which is a typical staff day for me. I'm through tears, I'm saying, listen, if anything like that ever happens here, don't you dare don't you dare come to me and say, I saw that coming. Because that'll be your last day working here. The church doesn't need any more people to tell them what's gonna happen after it already happened. We don't need any more people who with hindsight can say, eh, yeah, the signs were there. All the markers pointed towards it. Should have probably guessed No, we don't need any more of the people of God to lose their homes or their marriages or their lives or their jobs or their joy or their peace or anything else. We don't need to lose anything to the enemy. We don't need to forfeit or sacrifice or give up one more day, one more minute to the enemy. That's not what we're called to. But we need that Phineas spirit. We need that perpetual priesthood to rise up. Saints, Jesus has now become the forever high priest. He's making intercession at the right hand of God. But I believe that when a people rise up with jealous, with his jealousy, zealous with his deal, passionate about what he's passionate about, I believe that we won't have any more of those hindsight stories. We'll have people calling it out for what it is confronting each other in love and saying, hey, I love you too much to let this go on. Let me tell you how this ends and it's not where you wanna be. Let me tell you what's down this road you're walking on. Nothing, you don't wanna go down that road. And that's where the promise is. That's where the covenant is. The peace that we're after, the thing that we're looking for, God's answer to that iniquity. We don't need to be another generation that does another lap in the wilderness. We need to be a Phineas that says, this ends now. This ends today. And whatever enemies I have to make, I'm gonna be friends with God. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Listen, saints, if you're in the room this morning and there have been prophetic promises spoken over your life, and you've got the post-it notes on the mirror and you've got, the, you know, you've got the, the Joel Osteen message on repeat and you're gonna live your best life today. And yet for some reason you keep coming up empty. It keeps getting thwarted. It's not enough to have some Balaam stand at the top of a hill somewhere and cry out how good your God is anymore. Or have some pastor stand at a, at a music stand with a microphone and say, no, really, God has a plan and a purpose and a destiny for you. If that's not enough, If that's not changing your life, let me tell you what will. Righteousness, holiness, the presence of God and you walking out His statutes and His commands. If you're in the room this morning and you say, Zach, I'm clinging to those things, but I haven't seen the change that I wanna see yet. If that's you, would you step out of your seat and meet me down here? good. Jesus, Jesus, thank you, Lord. The beauty of all this is, is that the Lord is still, he's, he's still doing what he's always been doing. He's waiting for a people to just stop pretending. He's waiting for people. He's not concerned about your sin. He's not concerned about your struggle. He's not concerned about, he's not concerned about half the stuff that we're all caught up and tied up in knots over. That's not what keeps him up at night. What keeps him up at night is the fact that we'd rather have our head in the sand sometimes than acknowledge there's a problem here and that we need the Lord. And so saints... While the sun is shining, while there's still day, while there's still chance, seek the Lord while He may be found. Is there anybody else? And you'd say, yeah, I wanna manifest this. I wanna walk this out. I want my life to look like what I know my future already does. We're gonna spend some time in prayer in just a minute, but before we do, I I wanna invite one other group down this morning. those in the room. And you have been called to this place, this office, this seat of watchmen. Maybe, maybe you've never called it that. Maybe it looks like this. Maybe you just see things ahead of schedule. Maybe the Lord makes you aware of things. Maybe there's a discernment in you that runs deep And you can look across the room and before anybody sees anything, you pick up on something that's not right. That discernment is part of this. It's part of this priestly legacy and lineage. It's part of what we've been given to make intercession. And we need it. The body of Christ needs it. If that's you, step out of your seat and come down. Take a couple steps forward if you're down here. Take a couple steps forward. I just wanna make some room here because God's gonna do something awesome. Maybe it's in dreams, maybe it's in visions. Maybe you open up the Bible and you can't avoid the fact that this thing's staring you right in the face, confirming what you were already kind of bothered about. You're the watchman. A number of months ago on a Tuesday night, we called the watchman down to the front and I commissioned them saying, I don't care how many churches you've been in and how many people have said, shut up. That's not gonna happen here. When the Lord quickens your spirit, you sound the alarm. I don't want that blood on your hands and Ezekiel says it doesn't have to be, but don't confuse this house for one that ignores the voice of the watchman. Just this last week alone, I've I've had phone calls, I've had emails, I've had people reach out and say, Zach, this is coming. Be aware, Zach, when this comes, keep the gate closed. Elders, when this comes, keep the gate closed. Gatekeepers, this is on its way. Know what it looks like. It's time to start looking a gift horse in the mouth because it might be a Trojan horse. We need the voice of the watchman. And guess what? See this group down here that was down here first? We're all just taking turns in this place, okay? Today, it's, the, it's these eight or nine. Next Sunday, it's a different eight or nine. We're, we, we go through this cycle. We go this side of eternity until we're all there in the promises. We go through this cycle. It's, it's humanity. It's wilderness. It's the sand in our, in our sandals and the grit in our teeth that reminds us that we're not there yet, and that's okay. Because we have Phineas's in this room, and God is raising up more. And so we're gonna pray over this first group that's down here. We're gonna pray that these prophetic words become so much more than post-it notes on mirrors, so much more than bumper sticker ethics and Christianity, but that they become the embodiment and the identity of the walk that we're walking. So let's do that. Stick a hand, reach out towards this group right here. God, I just thank you for my brothers and sisters down here. I thank you for the, the integrity and the transparency to say, yes, Lord, I want every part of my day to match my eternity. I want my conduct to match my condition. Lord, I want, I want to be bathed in the righteousness and the holiness of Jesus Christ. And so we welcome you, Holy Spirit, to convict the living daylights out of us, God. Yeah. Lord, we pray that that same thing that went through the camp and, and cut down those things that joined themselves to the world, God, we welcome the bloodbath in our lives eradicate from us evict from us all that seeks to remove us and hinder us from the call that you have on us we are not our own but we have been bought and so lord we submit ourselves to that end that you would get your reward god i pray for freedom over every one of these lives in Jesus' name. Not just the freedom we sing about in songs, but the freedom that that is undeniable to everyone we cross paths with. God, I pray they smell glory in their hair when they walk by. God, that things begin to shift, transformation takes place, an irreversible, undeniable change, because this is the generation that's making it over. And to those of you who came down this second round, what you have to steward is a perpetual priesthood. What you have to steward is the call, it's the responsibility to hold our generation to a different standard. And how how we raise our kids, because remember, God operates in generations. God operates. His answer, his weapon against generational iniquity is generational priesthood, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a chosen people, chosen to carry that, that Phineas spirit, chosen to be jealous with the jealousy of the Lord. This isn't just about how we live our lives, it's about how our children live their lives. It's about us making decisions today to make sure that they are consumed with the things of God. That we make a decision today and drive a stake in the ground today, that we're not gonna submit and subject our children out to every good thing the world passes by them, trying to bolster their college applications and their job resumes. Look where that's gotten the world. All the stuff that we're trying to avoid, and yet we keep shoveling it on. Can we be held to a different standard? Can we walk in that zeal? Can we step out in that jealousy? so that he doesn't have to, so that we don't have to see the consequences and the side effects and the fallout and the aftermath on this next generation. Can we be that priesthood, saints? Can we walk in that high calling? Can we accept what's been passed down to us through the righteousness of Jesus Christ going backwards and forwards to cover all eternity? That's who we are and that's who we've been called to be. So Father, we thank you God, we thank you for those who have chosen not to have their head in the sand. God, for those who aren't settling for the the most recent uh, right-wing conservative law to be passed. God, we're not settling for a prophetic promise or for somebody else to do our job. Lord, I pray that you find in your people, God, a Phineas spirit rising up, spear in hand, ready to eradicate anything that stands between you and your people. God, we thank you for your grace and your mercy, but Lord, forgive us where we've taken it for granted. Forgive us, Lord, where we've just said, oh, the blood of Jesus will always be there to cover it. We don't want to be that generation. It's not enough for us just to not be in Egypt anymore, God. We want to walk in the promises. We want to reflect the prophetic manifestation of your goodness to this world. And not by might, and not by strength, not by our power, but by your spirit, Lord. May it be done. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. This is Pastor Zach, and you've been listening to HPC Sermon Notes. Love you guys. God bless you, and have the best day of your life.